0: Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. The Bible says in Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says, it talks about the last days. In connection to the last days, it says this, that men or people, people will become more evil and more evil daily. So we can't pray for everything to get better in the sense of none of this ever happening again and, and no more evil upon our, our nation and we'll try to create you know, specific things that'll stop it. It isn't going to stop. Evil will continue and it continues to get worse and worse. But you know, in that scripture, it goes into detail as far as our responsibility in the midst of that evil and God says, Keep my word, focus, on your, focus in on your purpose and your destiny and allow that to operate in your lives. Because if we stay focused in on the pain, our lives are going to become weakened. We need to be strong, amen? There have been times, I'm telling you right now, where I've been in positions that were hopeless in the sense of what in the world could I ever say to this young couple that is bearing their eight-month-old child. And I don't have an answer for them. And there have been a few times where I've been in that position, trying to pastor and trying to help someone that when you're looking at the situation, you're looking at, I just, there's no answers. There's no information that I can give them at this moment. So what I do is I just trust and believe that God can and will do what he can do. And not try to promote an all-knowing spiritual guide, but just understand there are times when you just got to shut up and cry. There are times when you just got to hold hands, hold arms, hold shoulders, and do nothing. But ultimately in here, I've got to stand and know things are going to get better even in the midst of something like this. I can't crumble. I can't crash. I can't throw in the towel. I just gotta believe. And there are times when you don't have answers. The sad thing is, is this is what people do. We believe we should have an answer. We believe we should have reasons. When we do that, we lose him. We lose God. Because we're trying to create from our own abilities. And it just ain't gonna happen. We need to understand there are times when all people need is someone to lean on and not us trying to promote, you know, anything other than keep leaning. I'll do what I can to help. Amen? Amen. So the the message or series this morning of starting is calling Starting Now. Starting now is something that I know every one of us have have experienced or would like to experience i don't know about you but in my family we like to play games we like to play board games with card games we like to play videos and there are times when if we're in the pool and we're gonna okay let's race and one gets off to a better start than you go whoa whoa whoa, wait i wasn't ready let's start over let's start over and you know, on, on you know, you're talking talking trash. You're going to do good, and all of a sudden you're not go, doing good. You're going wait, wait, wait. I wasn't ready. And and we do this because what we're saying is is, let me have a good start. Let me get this going correctly. Then we can have the race. In other words, I want to make sure I have a best chance to win. I don't know about you, but that, that's how we hold ourselves in our house. So there are times though when you go, hey, start over. Let's start over. Let's start over. Now what I want us to see is is God's view on this, because I believe most Christians don't believe you can start over. I believe they have this mindset that says, you know, I know God, but I know I believe God would like, but so we mainly hold in our hearts that there's got to be payment for all the bad. There's got to be a payment for for the negative that we've done. There's got to be something wrong. I mean, I caused it. I made, I made the bad choice, I made the bad decision, or, or whatever, maybe you didn't, but it's just its just because of the messes, the tendency is, is, is we believe that we're owed something negative, and God is wanting us to understand his word so that we can be free, so that we can have his life working within us in the midst of this. Listen, Paul lays out, I've been through this, I've been persecuted, I've been in pain, I've been in prison, I've been in all these different things, And but he says this at the very end, but the Lord delivered me out of all of them. Is that amazing? But if you read the stories and read the history, his deliverance is a little different than our definition. Our assumption is, is okay, he got away right away. Okay, he was set free. Okay, no, the deliverance was here and here, And he had the power to endure, the power to overcome, the power to stand in the midst of the fire and not go, get me out, get me out, get him out. No, the ability to stand there and stand and let the testimony begin that, hey, we might be in the fire, but we're not bowing to you. And that's what God wants for us. But let's see this in his word because it's so, so, so vital. So very important to see what God wants. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, this is so important in in God's instruction to us as followers of how to be powerful in our life. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, ready? Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, how many of you this past week each one of the days of that week felt like rejoicing always. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you have a week like that, man, you, it, that's like, uh, <laughs> you know, you want to, you know, stop life right there. And Okay, that was good enough. All right, we're good. But the point is, is this is the Bible is sharing something through these words that are important to each one of us. When he talks about praying always, you know, lifting hands always, uh, rejoicing always, of course he's not saying, we, every moment of our life we're going, <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's a wrong understanding of the scripture. Praying always, you know, we have the, this, this picture of folding our hands, bowing your heads, on our knees, laying before God, and how am I gonna do that all day? Well, because first of all, that's not at all what the picture of prayer is. So when he communicates something, he's communicating to us about life, correct? Because that's what we're doing, living life. You can't live life if you're, you know, if you're doing the prayer thing in this religious fashion. You can't live life if you're just lifting your hands all day long, if you're just jumping and rejoicing all day long. Can you imagine that? Someone comes and just said, I just wanted you to know, I got a bad day today. Uh, My dog got ran over a car. We've had that dog for 13 years. And you go, ha, praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? But it says rejoice always. You see what I'm saying? What we have to do is we have to realize what is he saying? Once you look at, uh, break down the Greek word of certain words, you start realizing, wait a minute, now I get it, now I understand it. Now, this is a compound word. Rejoice is a compound. Pas ote. Pas ote. When when a compound word is, there's two words brought together to create one word of understanding. And what this word means, literally means, is all right now. All right now. You can look at the the picture of it is, is from this point on. From this point on, starting now. From this point on, starting now. And what he's saying is, is this. When you can look at the Scripture, understanding the Scripture, that starting now, you have the ability to rejoice today. Now think about it, because what happens is today, usually we've been affected by yesterday. So we get up mad, angry, sad, fearful, worried, doubtful. I mean, I can guarantee you that most of us, if we're being truthful we can look at our lives and not see many days we wake up where we're just like, yeah! Unless it's like, you know, Saturday. Do you, do you understand that? In other words, it's, it's common for us all not to wake up and go, man, this is gonna be the greatest of the world because usually it's a reputation of what we've always been doing. Going to work, you know, at home with the kids, whatever. And it's this repetitious life. And what God is saying, listen, When you're doing my life, it it, it must be lived consciously. And what that means is it must be done with a process of choice. If you don't, you live your life subconsciously. And that is you do things without even processing them. You go to work, I guarantee you, everybody that drives the work, and you've been doing it, same place, for, for a few years, you're going to be going through streets and passing things without even processing or even, re- or, or even realizing what you're doing because it's so familiar, it's so ingrained in you that you're just driving. You're not even thinking about anything other than you're just driving. And I've done that many times. Many times, I drive to church every single day, every single day, and then there are some times when my family and I want to go on the freeway to somewhere else, and you know what I usually do? Miss it. I miss the turnoff because I'm programmed to continue to move that way. So being the wise person I am, I'm just saying, I just tell them, well, I want to go to church real quick. No, I'm just kidding. I go, oh, man, I got to make a UE. So the point is, is, is when we start looking at these scriptures, we start realizing, okay, I have a messed up week. I've had a messed up, I have a messed up life. But if God's showing me in his word that I can start from this point on, this point on I can do what? This is important. He used the term rejoice from this point on. Now rejoicing means what? That it has to deal with something joyful, right? Joyful. You you picture in your head things that create joy in your heart. And what happens? Things within you change, your attitude changes, your outlook changes, you feel better inside. Do you not? You get something that you've always wanted: a present or whatever. You, you you win the lottery. I don't know, whatever. Something happens, and all of a sudden, within you, there's like an explosion. Your team is in a struggle, in a warfare, and all of a sudden a touchdown happens. And what do you do? Stay the same. Everything continues to go in the struggle. Everything still is, oh, okay, it's a warfare. It's a... No, you just start throwing up hands. You start rejoicing. You start getting excited. Isn't that true? It's even the same in knowledge. Let's say you're at, you're at your job, and you're trying to figure this thing out, figure this thing out, figure this thing out, and all of a sudden some knowledge comes in, wisdom comes in, and you get it, and you're like going, oh, that's it. You don't go, oh, I just thought so, you know, you're Eeyore. Well, I guess it just came to me. Winnie the Pooh. All right. Some of you are like, Eeyore, who's that? I've never seen their YouTube channel. Every day you wake up, live your life from here. Live your life from here. Yeah, life can be monotonous. You Get up every morning. You know, if you have kids, you pretty much, you know, if it's Monday through Friday, you already know the whole process of what's going on. You go to work. You do. You drive. You do whatever. You commute. The thing is, is it's life, and this is how life operates. But our responsibility is to direct our life. Directing our life is not necessarily saying, okay, I won't go to work today. But what it's saying is I'm going to determine that my life is going to be reacted by my choice. When I say this, I say this to share with you my heart and my attitude, but also to help some of you recognize what do we need to get in this this attitude, every single day I get here, first thing I start off with is, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it. Do You understand, I'm not even in the day yet. I just woke up and got here. I don't know what's in front of me. I don't know that it's gonna be all perfect, but it doesn't matter. I'm making a choice to rejoice, Amen. I'm making that choice. As I was you know, going through the process of going over what I wrote and, and, and just speaking God's word into, into the, the message and the journey, something came up with my heart about the goodness of God. And I was just saying, God, you're so good. I'm reading this. I'm getting information that I know is going to help me and help others. And I just thought, God, you're so good. You're just so good. And then within myself, I just said this, you know, God, I don't deserve your goodness. I'm not good enough to deserve your goodness. But this is what followed instantly right after I said that. I said, I don't deserve your goodness, but I don't see myself bad enough not to be able to have your goodness. See, I might understand I'm not all that, which says God you should be good to me. But I do understand this. I'm not bad enough that I can't receive his goodness. And that's a key we always must understand. We look at ourselves and say, on my own merit, nah, there ain't nothing here. But on the merit of Jesus, on the merit of God and his desire, all of a sudden, my bad ain't bad enough to receive his good stuff. And I just it just felt so good within me to recognize that, to realize I'm not trying to be, oh, I'm just so humble, God. I was just realizing something. Even though I can't make a list of why I deserve something, I know that he wants his goodness on my life, period. And that makes me happy. I don't know about you, but it makes me happy. And when you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> So rejoice is, a, it's an attitude that's full of action. Philippians 4.4 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now remember, rejoice is from this point on. From this point on, rejoice in the Lord. And he says again, 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 listen, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You guys ever hear that song? Huh? I used to, when I was a youth minister, a youth pastor, Years ago, I would get the teens together. I would do the most corniest thing on purpose. I never ever allowed my youth ministries that I was over, and I tell you, I'd, I'd go into youth ministries that would have, you know, one, three, four kids, and within a year, I'd have fifty, sixty, a hundred. It, it was just a powerful time, and. The season for me of impacting teens and college age and every place I've been in that position. Now, there's three. I don't jump around, but every place I've been over those years, I did exactly that because of what God placed in my heart for those kids. But each one, I recognize a danger of clicking and an attitude from young people of, you know, I'm all that. So what I'd do is I'd always break it by doing the dumbest stuff that anybody could ever think of. So I would use that song because you know they're not listening to that song on the way, you know, in life. So I'd, I'd separate them, put half over here, half over here. And then I'd say, are you guys ready? And they'd be looking at me, go, what dumb thing are we gonna do today? Because I would, I would do, I'm serious. I would do just silly things where, Listen, by the end, they're loving each other, they're laughing, and they're just having a good time. And it lets their guard down of what the world is trying to place on them. They have fun. And that's what every young person should be able to do, have fun in life. Not have to put on a, hey, look at me! I'm so cool, boom. Not, it's, it's silly, that's garbage. And so we'd sit there and they'd go, all right, your side, ready? And you're gonna sing this. Rejoice in the Lord, always again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, always again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, always again I say rejoice. And I'd have them going. and they would be in unison. It would sound so beautiful. And they'd have a good time. And that's how we would start. We do stuff like that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start doing it in this church. I'm going to break this this attitude down. (laughs) But it was fun and exciting because what happened was is I've done this with my, my, my boys. My two boys, they know what happens when they get with Papa and come to church in the morning. We proclaim, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. They already know this. And then we go into a different stage. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. And that's what we would do. Yeah, there we go. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well, then my soul will spring up a well and make me whole. That's what we do. That's what we do. Is this not what we do? Yeah, we do. And then when we're done, they just go back to normal life, and I just keep seeing it. And it's a good time. Listen, we got to rejoice. We got to rejoice. We got to rejoice. And Paul says, again, I say rejoice, again. I'm telling you rejoice, but listen, you've got to rejoice from this point on. It's never related to understand the power of rejoicing. No, it's related to start your day knowing this is a beginning. This is a new day. God isn't looking at yesterday. If you think so, you do not know the Holy Bible. If you think he's concerned about tomorrow, you do not know the Holy Bible. God is concerned about ahorita, now, right now. Right now, guess what? When you woke up, that was yesterday. It's done. It's, it's not a part any longer. Right now. See, you can't go through life and get off on the wrong side of the bed and think, well, it's set, my day's screwed. Because if you do, you will. But if you put on the brakes and say, nah, I don't think so, I'm gonna stop this right now because I already know where this is going, and I'm making a choice to rejoice. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway, and you know what? You can once you allow this word to start revolving in your heart, in your mind, because you're going to start thinking the way I do. Bad, ugly day, bad news. You're just mad. All of a sudden, you start thinking, God, you're so good. I've been through so much, and and I can just start thinking, and, and I start thinking about if I'm at my house, I just start, look at this, look at my house. You gave this to us. I mean, look at this building, look at this land, I and mean, look at my kids, and look at my wife, and look at, and, and all of a sudden you start going through this whole process of you forget about the ugly. You forget about it. Why? Because you're remembering the fragments. If you remember that message, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about you remember the goodness of God and what he's done for your life, amen? Listen, I'm deciding. I make the decision. I'm not gonna get better. I'm gonna get better, amen? Bitter ain't gonna take me down a good road. It'll take me down a road of guilt, pity party, misery. I'm just gonna make a choice to be better, amen? Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10 This is something that people don't grasp or understand when they read Scripture, but they have a tendency to quote Scripture. And the Bible says, for the the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many have heard that? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, I heard that for years. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So by hearing that, I would use that term. I would use that Scripture. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Years and years and years ago, I was studying out that Nehemiah not for the purpose of that scripture. I wasn't even thinking about that scripture. But as I was studying out Nehemiah, I started seeing the history and the picture and the context of the book of Nehemiah. It came to this area, this chapter, and I started reading this chapter, and and it was amazing and impacting in the sense that God was showing us something very powerful of, of what the word of God will do and what people hearing the word of God will have the tendency to do. And as the word of God, Nehemiah found the scrolls and brought all the people together after captivity, and they're all standing, thousands, tens, and hundreds of thousands, all standing before him. And he brings the Bible, brings the scroll before everybody. He opens it up, and the Bible says in that chapter that his heart was, not only am I going to read it to you, but I'm going to teach you what I'm reading. I'm not just going to read it, I'm going to teach you about what we're reading. And so he got the scribes together, he got all the people together that can teach and instruct, and he started reading it. And all the people were hearing the word, and they were being taught the word, and the first thing that happened is they started crying. They started weeping. Why? because they started seeing all the things that God wanted and what they were rebelling against. They were guilty of high crimes against God. And so all of a sudden they started crying and pouring out, God, we're guilty. Oh, God, have mercy, God. Ah! And crying and crying. And most people would sit there and go, Yes, Simon, you should. You're guilty of disobeying God. And that's what most Christians would do. Because you are guilty in the Bible saying you're guilty. And the Bible says that Nehemiah stood before the group and he said, stop, this is a holy day. Well, that even makes it more where we should cry and scream out to God and he goes, no, do not sorrow. But we have every reason, right? To we're guilty. We disobeyed. We rebelled against God. We heard the word, and now we're broken. God, we're lost. And He goes, "Stop! Don't sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength." I can tell you right now, you're not going to see that in most gatherings of believers because we need people. Guilty, condemned, crying of how worthless they are. But when you get into the scripture and start reading the Bible, you start realizing, wait a minute, what is the purpose? Common sense, common sense, common sense. What is the purpose of, say, your child or someone you love that has fault and failed and screwed up, and then you show them truth of how not to? Is the purpose to make them feel guilty? Is the purpose to demean them? Is the purpose to beat them down? Is the purpose to make them feel so rotten about themselves? No. What is the true love purpose of showing someone their error? to Change. To fix it. To do things better. And what he said is this. You might hear something that says you're guilty, but you want to have power and you want to have success? Get over the sorrow. Get over the sorrow because God is saying the joy of the Lord. Why would God speak out and say this is what's wrong with you if he didn't want change? If he didn't want you to be better? And Nehemiah is very clear on what God wants and that is this. He wants change. And if you're wallowing in your pity and your guilt and your condemnation, I'm going to tell you who's there. The devil. He's there. The friends that don't like you are there. The religious people that are looking to beat you down for control are there. Everybody's there to see that in action, but I guarantee you there's nothing out of that That will produce change never has never will if all you have to do is read the bible people you don't have to be you don't even have to have a degree in in bible studies to know this you look at the first king of israel was the biggest crier and the biggest moaner and the biggest whiner every time he was caught in a sin and what do we see in the life of saul no true repentance but when you look at david A man after God's own heart, when he got caught in sin, he went, my bad. Yep, not going to do that. Let's move on. That's what you see in his life, in Scripture. You just pay attention, amen. Why? Because why is God sharing his perfect word to us that are imperfect to help us? Listen, of course you hear something and you're gonna feel bad. I mean, our children hear something, they feel bad. But what do you want, honestly, for them to feel bad or to change? What is it you're looking for? Change. Now, I understand the pain. I understand the hurt. I understand the sorrow. God, I'm guilty. I, I promise you this. Over the years, God always quiets up when I get to that place and only when I go, but God, I ain't gonna dwell on that, is when he starts opening again. Because that place will never produce change. Never. Of course I'm guilty. Of course I sinned. Of course I blew it. But what takes me to the next level? Understanding. That's why the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribe mindset in the Christian church takes 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And then they falsely define confession. Not Bible definition, falsely define it. Because you know what the Greek word is? Homo legeo, say the same thing. That's it. That's a Greek word, say the same thing. What's the same thing? God said, you missed it. Say the same thing, I missed it. You sinned, I sinned, and he's faithful and just to forgive you. Isn't that special? How about you? That impacted my life. That impacted my heart. Why? Because what is God's ultimate goal? We're already screwed up. We're already imperfect. I mean, come on, don't you understand? That's He. I mean, we all can sit here and cry all day long for the stuff we've done wrong, right? Isn't that true? Okay, what's that gonna do? Listen, I've been doing this for years. I can tell you, it don't produce change in people. It, change, it, it has an emotional response, but it never has changed them. Why? Because change is acting on knowledge of how to overcome, not through whining and crying. But I'm telling you, yes, I get it. You feel remorse. We all do. Oh, I'm in trouble. I blew it. Oh, God, forgive me. You get pulled over a ticket. Oh, gosh, why did I speed like that? Okay, what is that going to do? Nothing. So this is what Scripture teaches us, amen? Matthew 13, 24 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed. Everybody say good seed. He planted good seed in his field. But that night, as all the workers were sleeping, the enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, then the tares... The weeds also appeared. The farmers' workers went to the farmer and said, "Sir, the field where we planted is full of weeds. This is good seed we planted, and it's got weeds in it. Didn't we plant good seed. Where did the weeds come from? This is the, the workers, this is what they're saying. We went out, we, we took the seed, and we planted and planted, and planted. The enemy came in and planted. Are you guys hearing? This is something very important to see. And as the harvest grew, there was what? The harvest that they were expecting, but next to it were weeds. Some of you need to really, really focus in on this because I'm gonna tell you, it'll change your life once you understand the parable. And the farmer says, an enemy has done this enemy has done this. The workers say, should we pull out the weeds? And the farmer said, no, no, don't do that. You're going to mess with the wheat. You don't want, we don't want to ruin the harvest. So do not pull the weeds up. He said, once it's finished out, we'll sort out. We'll sort out the weeds from the harvest. Okay. Now this is a very, very important parable to what I'm talking about this morning. Because what we're doing is this, is we're literally sowing good, and all of a sudden, some unexpected bad is happening. And we're like going, I've been doing the right thing. I've been doing the right thing. I've been following what this Bible says. I've been doing what the Bible teaches. How in the world? why is this happening? Does this not happen in life? Do you guys not get involved in this kind of stuff? Are you like going, where'd this come from? Where did this come from? It was all good, all good, and then bam, there it is. This is Jesus talking to life, us, and what does he do? He explains it. He says, listen, don't focus on the weeds right now. We'll take care of them. We gotta get the harvest. We'll get rid of the weeds, but we've gotta harvest the good. Amen? We've got to harvest the good. Why is this so important to understand? Because the whole picture of this is so important. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life, godly life is not a religious concept life, super spiritual life. A godly life, literally in the language and the context in the whole Bible, is someone that's operating with the mind of God. In other words, You're seeing his way, and you're doing his way, all right? Seeing his way, doing his way. That's literally godly life. So it says, everybody who does the right type of life that we're supposed to live will suffer persecution. Will what? (laughs) Suffer persecution. Christian ones define, no, everything's good, it's God. Once it comes bad, it, it can't be God. It totally goes against Scripture, If you're doing good, you better know that it's going to have some pressure. If you're doing good, you better know that there's going to be something trying to get you off track. Don't ever think that when you're doing God's will and God's work, it's all good, nothing's going to happen. That is usually when you aren't doing God's will and work. That's when the devil's going, man, you're doing a good job for me. But you're thinking it's Jesus. You think it's the Holy Spirit guiding me. No, it ain't. Because if you're doing God's will, God's work, it's going to be tough. There's going to be pressure. And Jesus said, you better believe it because those that follow me and those that do my will are going to suffer pressure, persecution, attacks. Just know that. Do we want it to happen? No way. Are we believing God for it to happen? No way. But guess what? They're going to come. And when they do, I allow the word to help me. All right, I see it. I see the enemy. I see the enemy, and I'm not going to allow the enemy to rob me of my harvest. Why? Because the Bible's helping me. It's getting me to understand this. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So, yeah, I might have a time of, of stinking weeds or stinking people, but the truth is, is what do I want? The harvest, the good harvest, the good harvest. The weeds, I'll deal with, but the key to my life is the harvest. And understand this, the harvest, the blessing, always overcomes the curse, yeah. always. The good will always overcome the bad, always, if we focus in on that. Remember in Genesis chapter three, we have, we have the picture of, perfect man and woman, following to a demonic influence of Satan and his lies. They're in the midst of failure in sin. They're hiding themselves. They're in fear. God comes on the scene and starts questioning. See, he always wants to know what you know. Not that he doesn't know. He wants you to know what you know. And so they start telling him, Wife, you gave me. It's on her. She's a loser. The woman's looking at that, going, "Well, um, the devil made me do it, and it's all his fault." And the devil's like, "Going, he can't do anything. I mean, it's all, it's all in him." And then God goes like this: "Devil, this is what's going to happen to you. Woman, this is the issues that they're going to deal with you. And what were they? Childbearing, all kinds of more pressures in life, man." Listen, man, in the beginning, everything was seed-sown, producing. There was no pressure, no weeds, nothing negative against the growth. And then he said, now there's going to be thorns. There's going to be weeds. There's going to be hard labor. What happened at the fall of mankind? What happened at the fall of Adam and Eve, the beginning of sin? Pressure entered into this world. Tied to what? Seed time and harvest. Genesis chapter 8 says, as long as the earth remains, seed and time and harvest will continue. It will never change. But understand this, everything with seed time and harvest is going to have pressure. Quit looking for everything to be perfect. When you do that, you get stressed out. I get ground together. I'll do a garden. We do a ground in our yard. We'll do, you know, we plant trees at church. And my whole attitude is make sure we clean it up. Let's make sure it's all perfect. And no matter what, no matter what, weeds start growing, grass starts growing, things that shouldn't even be there start doing things. And it's like, man, stupid Adam. (laughs) I mean, it's so frustrating. But guess what? gotta just take care of that and we'll get the harvest amen take care of that we'll get the harvest second timothy three twelve. yes everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution matthew 10 29 says this and jesus replied i assure you that everyone who has given up houses brothers sisters mother or father or children or property for my sake for the gospels ministering good news to people We'll receive right now in this time period, right now. We'll receive now, not when you get to heaven, right now. Ever say right now? He says, everyone that gives up, and we already know Scripture. God isn't telling you to get rid of your wife, get rid of your kids, right? He's not telling us to do anything like that. What he's saying is is when you understand the power of connecting with me, to become the best you can be, without looking at other people, you're gonna be a major impact in life. Not only your life, but for others. When I'm talking to people about marriage issues, I never deal with their marriage issues. I deal with them. Because if you can't deal with them, you'll never deal with an issue. And that's a problem people have, because when you have two people that have issues, Guess what the issue is, and that's it. So I can spend hours talking about, I'll give you a list of my issues, and then men usually you go, geez, I've never heard of these issues. Well, I'll make up some of my own. You know, they live in la-la land most of the time. So you have issues of why this person's bad, issues of why this other person's bad, and so we're gonna talk about issues. If I'm not talking about marriage and I have a guy sitting before me, I don't counsel women, and I have a guy sitting before me, and they say, I have, I have anger problems, anger. I'm angry all the time. I'm uncontrollable in my anger, and I, I do not do this. Tell me your childhood. So what, you're gonna tell me you got beat when you're a little child, and there, there's your answer. Don't be angry no more. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That will never, ever produce anything. All you're doing is revealing something in what you're doing right now. You want change? Yeah, you can say, well, you know, this is my life, and you're gonna go, yeah, of course you're angry. But that won't produce change. So what I do in this picture of couples, and the picture of people, I tell them this. You've gotta look at you, and you gotta deal with you. And everything about you is tied to what you think is what you become. So you have to stop the process of the subconscious action of your training of being beat by mom or dad, or whatever the excuses are, maybe it's pain, maybe it's, 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 you were mistreated. Whatever the case may be, all that is pathwayed in your mind. It's not conscious, it's subconscious. And we know it's scientific fact that every person that is alive right now can recreate new pathways. Why? Because God gave us Romans 12 verse 2. He showed us that new pathways could be made. Science has just figured it out. But he said this thousands of years ago. Change how you think with different knowledge. Renew the mind to a different thought process, which will give you the ability to act differently. And that's how you get change. So I'll tell them, You've got to stop yourself from the conscious decisions and journey that you take. And once you know, because everybody knows that you're about to start the journey of uncontrollable anger, stop the process and start thinking a different way. Is it easy? Heck no. No, it's not easy. But it is possible. And it will work. But it's up to you. It's up to us. Do I continue down the road of my subconscious training or do I stop myself and do what Scripture says, take every thought captive, think on these things? It tells us, but we don't want to hear that. We don't want to do that because, oh, it's just the Christian faith and we're just walking by the Spirit of God. You don't know nothing about the Scripture, nothing. And that's why it's just emotions and not truth and only truth and applying the truth set you free, it's the only way, amen, so it's going to be good, it's going to be a good, awesome picture of what God wants for us, because listen, all I know is, is we can all, I can read scripture, I'll go to love chapter, and we're all going to feel guilty, all right, we'll feel guilty about us, and then we'll feel guilty for the other person, because they ain't act that way toward us, so we all, will not only feel guilty, but we want guilt on them, so we want guilt everywhere, but guess what, it won't produce anything, We recognize God's truth. We understand God's truth. But what do we want? What does God want for us? To receive it. Listen, he died for the ungodly. He died for the losers. He died for the sinners. He already knows we're messed up. So then he brings the information to messed up people. Of course, the common sense is, is we're all gonna go, ah, I'm so terrible. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And so we build this this thing that will not produce change. And God's saying, listen, what I'm wanting is for you to receive my word and to do my word. That's where the freedom comes. And when you're receiving my word and doing it, I'm gonna liken you to a person that builds a house on a rock. And when... When persecution, pressures in life, when the storms come, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna feel it. Guess what? You're gonna stand. That's what I'm always gonna remember. I will continue to stand. How about you? Did you get something this morning?